I arrived in Phoenix just over two weeks ago, and I've spent a lot of my time staring at street signs. Coming from a town with three main roads, trying to navigate Phoenix as a newcomer has made me appreciate the invention of Google Maps even more. But when I'm not panicking over missing my turn, I enjoy seeing the different street names around here. We don't have an East Camelback Road back in Kansas. Still, it's not those that have caught my interest as of late. It's been one of the other streets nearby, Bethany Home Road. A few listeners have asked what the original Bethany Home was, or who it was named after. After all, you don't get a street named after you unless you did something important, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't have so many streets named after presidents. So I thought I'd take a trip down memory lane and find the answer out for myself. But what started out as a simple question turned out to be an important lesson in why history gets lost. I'm summer producer Maria Gutierrez, and this is Valley 101, an Arizona Republic and azcentral.com podcast about Metro Phoenix and beyond. Allow me to set the stage. The year is 1908. Four years before Arizona officially became a state, Phoenix had a population of only about 5,500 people, and the United States was in the middle of a terrible tuberculosis epidemic. Tuberculosis is caused by bacteria growing in the lungs, leading to chest pain, long coughing fits, and in many cases, death. Before the 1940s, there had been no vaccines or antibiotics to help treat tuberculosis patients. According to the Center for Disease Control, by the late 1800s, tuberculosis was responsible for killing one out of every seven people in the United States and in England. So tuberculosis in late 19th century, mid 19th century became one of the number one killers in the nation. And doctors learned, I mean, they didn't know that much about it at the beginning, but they learned eventually that it was both contagious and made worse by dampness and um, close living conditions. So of course you have people moving west. Arizona became kind of a really good spot for tuberculosis patients to come because the air was dry. They could isolate very easily because our population was fairly low. and. Um, the five seas of Arizona, you know, citrus, cotton, all that stuff. One of the seas is climate. And of course we think of climate as, oh, it's great for tourism. It first was important for tuberculosis patients. This is Aaron Kraft, Senior Program Coordinator for the School of Historical, Philosophical, and Religious Studies at Arizona State University. When she was still a student at ASU, she helped to do research about the Banner University Medical Center's history and focused on early hospitals and sanitariums around the Valley area. During the tuberculosis outbreak, many encampments for the sick were established in Sunnyslope, and sanitariums started cropping up in Arizona to help house the sudden rush of patients. You can hear more about those in a previous episode of Valley 101. But not all of these places were created equal. You had some really nice ones that were resort-like, so wealthy people could travel west, they could stay in this beautiful resort and restore their health, or you had the other end of the spectrum where poor people could not afford a nice place like that, so they'd pop up a tent and Sunny Slope is the most famous of these tuberculosis camps, but they were, they were all over. So the people that started things like um, St. Joe's and St. Luke's and Bethany Home, they saw a need for not just charitable, but also for the people who could not afford the resort kind of styles. But these smaller, just kind of local people starting and they're opening their homes or building homes to house, you know, 20, 15, 25 patients, somewhere in that range, and to take care of them, give them good food, beautiful climate. Although her focus wasn't primarily on the Bethany Home Sanitarium, Erin had come across it while doing her research. 
they were open from October to May every year, and then the summer they would travel to Prescott and spend the summers there. So it, it was kind of like, the, it wasn't like a permanent hospital as we think of it today, but just a group of people trying to get better. And then its first name was actually Manzanita Camp. So it was the Manzanita Camp for a few years, and then it was purchased by German Missionary Society. I want to say 1911. I have the date written down somewhere. Um, and they changed the name to Bethany Home. An archived memoir from Reverend Walter H. Lugeville, a member of the Missionary Church Association, offers a little more insight to this. According to him, his family had moved to Arizona from Ohio after some members of the church expressed the need for a Christian home. His father, Reverend B.P. Lugeville, was appointed as the superintendent of this building, and after a few months, Bethany Home Sanitarium treated its first patient, Mrs. Bales, the wife of a pastor. I wasn't able to find any direct confirmation about why the name Bethany was chosen. But Lugeville's parents had operated another Bethany home in Bluffton, Ohio, as a retreat for the spiritually discouraged and physically ill. And fun fact, Bethany, Jerusalem was the town where Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And translations of the name Bethany include House of Figs and House of Affliction. The research I've done just says that, you know, it started about five miles outside of the town and how, you know, you could find these want ads in the Arizona Republican, which is what the Republic was called back then. And it would, you know, say things like healthy meals provided. They wanted to keep it on like a disciplinary, like a military style. So everyone woke up at seven. They had meals at a set time. The meals were very healthy and had, you know, fresh eggs and meat. They always advertised that. Um, so stuff like that, very similar to the other um, sanitarium camps that happened. So I don't think Bethany Home in and of itself was unique. So then why did it have a road named after it? In the 19, 1911, city of Phoenix opened a streetcar service, expanded it out further north, and it was on what was called Park Street then, which is now 16th Street. And that streetcar drove right by the Bethany home. So it was used as a reference point. People would say, you know, there'd be ads in the paper and it would say, a calf for sale, we're the third farm east of the streetcar line on the Bethany home road. So it wasn't called Bethany home road, but it was the road to Bethany home or stop there by the Bethany home. And then within a couple years, it became Bethany home road. In 1915, According to Lugeville's memoirs, Bethany Home shut its doors for good due to a lack of leadership. And then after that, in the 19, 1919, a group of Protestant churchgoers decided to purchase and renamed it the Interdenominational Sanatorium, some really, really boring name, but it was always that name, formerly known as Bethany Home. The last bit I found about it, 1923, there was an ad in the Republican advertising 20 acres, five miles north of town, didn't say formerly Bethany Home, but basically you could tell that that's what this was. A former sanitarium that had been in existence for 23 years was not for sale. But Bethany Home Road has stuck around long past the building it was named after. And to this day, you could still drive down the very same street. Although part of it near State Farm Stadium in Glendale was renamed Cardinals Way back in 2019. Compared with other sanitariums in the area, the documentation surrounding Bethany Home is surprisingly limited. Other than a newspaper clipping, some town directories, and Lugeville's memoirs, there weren't too many resources out there for me to do research with. It wasn't until I had spoken with Aaron that more pieces began to come together. And believe it or not, this was not the first time that Valley 101 had been asked about Bethany Home Road's origins. The late Clay Thompson, a former reporter and columnist for the Arizona Republic and the founder of Valley 101, was asked this question as well. And I was able to find the answer in his 2000 book, Clay Thompson's Valley 101, a slightly skewed guide to living in Arizona. To quote his answer, 
The Bethany Home was a tuberculosis sanitarium operated in the early 1900s by a religious organization near what is now 15th Avenue and Bethany Home Road, hence the name. This book was published in 2000. It has been almost two decades since that question was first asked, and there still isn't that much known about Bethany Home unless you really squint at it. Why? We call them archival silences, right? So things that are left out of uh, traditional archives. It's harder to find those, but they're, they're very important. And any historical event, any historical person, any you know battle or settling, all these things, there's not one story. It's always multiple stories, many times many multiple stories. You know, the classic example is 1492, of course, we know what happened, but whose story do you tell, from the boat or from the land? Aaron explained that finding the other stories also comes from looking outside traditional research venues and looking into more personal artifacts, such as handwritten letters or diaries. But who had the time to sit and write personal letters and diaries? It was not, you know, the farm laborer. It was not um, the mother of 17 children trying to, you know, survive. It was the wealthy that had time. It was those in power, things like that. And even if you did have time to write letters, why would your letters be kept if you were not a big important person? But after doing all this research and not finding much, I had a bigger question on my mind. What does it mean if we don't document this history? What happens if this information isn't preserved? Well, to answer that question, I'd have to dig a little deeper and go where all the information we do have is stored. Yeah. So here's our loading dock where everything comes in. Um, so Meet Carlos Lopez the deputy state archivist for the Arizona State Archives. When I reached out to him to ask about how history is collected and preserved, he was kind enough to invite me on a short tour of the archives facility. Passing through a series of wide yellow tinted corridors, I found wooden pallets piled high with handwritten documents waiting to be sorted. Then Carlos led me to where the archives keep most of its records. Stretching from floor to ceiling, dozens of shelves carrying boxes and books filled a room larger than my apartment. There was a slight chill in the air to help preserve everything stored inside. Made me grateful that I wore long sleeves that day. Yeah, here's our old volumes from, um, most of these are from the early 20th century. So this will be uh, from 1912 to probably about 1960. Up until like 50s or 60s, they were still doing everything by hand. He drew my attention to one wall dedicated entirely to mortgage records. Each volume was more than two inches thick. The binding faded from the passage of decades. So we have all these mortgage books that people filled out by hand. And this is why I say some of the history was lost, is because you would write these out by hand, and where do you store them? If you have something from going from 1912, it's 1940, and they're this thick, and each of these is a different month. Wait, this is just a month? Yeah. This is just a month. The Arizona State Archives works to preserve the history of Arizona by taking in different state records. Most come from state agencies, who give legal custody of the documents to the archives. So when I asked Carlos why there might be so little documentation of Bethany Home Sanitarium, he said part of the reason may have been that it was a private building. So that they wouldn't have done dealt a lot with the government at that time, um, so they probably didn't, you know, file away a lot of their paperwork with the government. Uh, and so you wouldn't have had those copies. And even if you did have those copies, they probably weren't permanent. They probably weren't needed uh, by the, the city. And so it just sort of fell to the wayside. But he also highlighted that at the time, the past wasn't as valued as it is today. 
you're seeing that now, that people do want to have a connection to that history, but for the longest time throughout the 20th century, it was something of this idea that we are moving forward, that this is a city of the future, that this is a state of the future, and we are looking to not really catalog the past, but we are looking to a um, new trail in the world. And so a lot of the stuff that's old gets left behind. But as time passes, we see more consequences of not properly taking care of historical documents and losing them for good. Carlos gave me an example. Uh, you used to have to wait to, to get uh, married or have somebody come in and, um, and witness or anything. But in Yuma, you could just get a very really quick marriage, really quick divorce also. A lot of those records were lost in, um, I think it was like, it was, there was like fly, fire or flood um, in the 20th century and a lot of those records were lost. And now, so now people are trying to find, because like, genealogy is really big, or they're, uh, so they're trying to find their records or they're trying to prove their citizenship. Part of my tour included getting to see some of the equipment used to help keep the records in good condition. This includes a massive walk-in freezer that's used to kill any bugs or eggs that might have been buried in the records, and an HVAC room that contained documents that were too moldy to be salvaged. As soon as an agency sends over uh, records or tells us they want to send over records, they sign over a form that gives us legal custody. And so we have to keep it until the conservator is able to um, make a plan for it and then destroy it. But as we move towards digital records and databases, there is a concern over how that will impact the history that we keep. Paper needs uh, really specific conditions to, to stay stable. So as long as you can get to that environment, paper's fine. It'll stay there for 500 years. The thing with electronic, though, is what happens if you put everything on a server and that server crashes. Everyone uses PDFs, everyone uses doc files, but what if one day you can't open those up? You know, what, what happens with that? Uh, it's something that you have to sort of think about, you know, 20, 50, 100 years down the road. Is this going to be able to be used? Whereas paper, paper is always going to be there. You know, paper, as long as you store it properly, it's not going to go away. And so that is the, the, the concern that we have about digital records is what is the long-term viability for them? But even if the way we store information changes, it's vital that we still continue to document our history. We really don't appreciate our history and the, the, the chronicling of history until we no longer have access to it. And then all of a sudden we play that, that game where it's like, oh, if, if only we'd done this, if only we'd kept this. And so I think that, you know, people just sort of need to remember that when they're kind of uh, tossing things out. Bethany Home hasn't been standing for decades now. All that remains of it are a few documents left in the walls of a library and a road that leads to where it once stood. While I may not have gotten all the information I wanted about Bethany Home, I do feel like I learned the value behind every diary entry that's found and preserved by people. There's multiple sides to every story, and unfortunately, some of those stories are less told. But that doesn't mean we here at Valley 101 will ever stop searching. So if you have any other questions about Phoenix's past or present, send us a note. You can submit your questions to valley101 at azcentral.com. And if you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. Also rate and follow our show. You can also support all of our podcasts by subscribing to azcentral.com. I'm producer Maria Gutierrez, and until next time, I'll be wandering the streets of Phoenix.